For the News and Observer, I'm Dawn Vaughn, your host for this episode of the Under the Dome Week Ahead podcast for Tuesday, July 5th. Yesterday was the July 4th holiday. Today, July 5th is the first day of the of the work week for those of you who aren't on vacation. Today, I'm joined by Lars Dolder, our NC Insider Editor, whose first week, first full week as Insider Editor was also the last week of the short session. Not technically, since they, you know, might be coming back a day here and there, but more or less. Uh, so, Lars, it was a it was a wild week for you, I'm sure. So, like full immersion. Uh, why don't you take us through uh, the highlights of of what happened in those final days of session? Yeah, it was a whirlwind. Uh, baptism by fire for my first week on the job in a, in a new role, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think what added to the craziness was this process by which the legislature has been going through the budget, where they come out as a conference report. And so we didn't have the time that we would have liked to evaluate and, and read through the nuance of the budget before we had to jump in and start publishing content so that people could have an idea of what was going on before things went to vote. And so that really added to the intensity of the week. Uh, when did we get it? On uh, Tuesday, I think, and Thursday were the first vote. So we had about 48 hours before things were really serious uh, to to evaluate and and let the public know what was going on. Um, one of the high points, I think, was that while there were some objections to content that we can get into later in the podcast, it was largely with bipartisan support that that the budget went through, uh, which is distinctly different than some other sessions that we've seen recently. But uh, both in the House and the Senate, I was there when they had their voting sessions. Uh, they ended up passing with a veto-proof majority. So several Democrats joined on to the re Republican-written budget. I think that's interesting. Of course, it's still going to Governor Cooper, who we don't know yet for sure, I think, whether he'll veto or not. I think you have some more insight on that, Don. Do you know exactly what uh, what we might expect from the governor? As Senate Leader Berger likes to tell reporters a lot during our post-session gaggles, his his crystal ball is cracked. I noticed he brings that out a lot when we ask him to tell the future. So whatever I say would would probably be wrong. But there's some there's some historical indicators of of what could happen. And what you mentioned about the the votes and and how those played out before Lars and I started recording, we we're looking at those and and looking at you know who from the from the caucus, uh, the Democratic caucus voted voted each way on it. Um, and one other thing to note is that you know we talked about what might be in this budget for over a month, really, since the session started in mid mid to late May. And Republicans talked a lot about some sort of additional tax cut, no, not guaranteeing that there would be one. Um, but in the end, there there wasn't anything. So that one thing that I thought was surprising in, in the final bill that the bill was. Um, didn't didn't make any big big waves the way the uh, 2021 budget was, but that's also just the way the budget process is. Um, if listeners, if if you aren't aware, that's always a, a biennium budget where it's a, a two-year spending plan, and so in the off year, they don't have to pass a budget. So they decided to. They talked about the whole time that they were going to, but toward the end when. Speaker Moore and Senate Leader Berger weren't agreeing um, a lot over, you know, Medicaid expansion. 
Uh, they floated the idea that, you know, we don't have to have one anyway, which was sort of like a, a little bit of a, um, a sort of threat against each other of, you know, well, you know, you may not get this nice budget that you want or any sort of raises. And those raises were pretty, pretty low. If you uh, talk to state employees, it was only an additional 1% on top of the two and a half they would have gotten, gotten no matter what. And last year's budget, when it finally passed, you know, several months into the fiscal year, the Democrats that had voted for earlier versions of it and that were excited that it was actually passing. And of course, Cooper, you know, said before um, he signed it that he was going to, they mentioned the raises and everything, everything for the workers. So I imagine there was some of that on the, on the floor, floor discussion. What did you hear? What kind of things did the did the lawmakers bring up? Did you notice a difference between the House and Senate, the way they talked about the budget before they took that vote? Yes, definitely. Uh, the difference was the Senate had almost no discussion, which took me by surprise. It was only uh, Senator Blue who actually made any comments during the, uh, the discussion or the uh, debate session that they had before hosting the first vote. And really what the point of his comments were was that he had the power, he could have leveraged it to have the Democrats in the Senate vote against, but he had explicitly instructed them that he wasn't going to lean one way or the other. The caucus was free to vote however they wanted, so he said. And uh, so he ended up voting no, but several Democrats voted in support of the budget. In the House, though, there was much more discussion. Um, and the uh, Democratic Party leader, Robert Reeves, he spoke at length. One thing he mentioned, of course, it was the absence of any Medicaid expansion. Uh, we expect to see more on that coming up, but it was strange, I think, because up until we got to budget votes, it seemed like Republicans and Democrats in both chambers were more on the same page about Medicaid expansion than I expected and, and that I've ever seen. I mean, it, what, one thing that Reeves said was uh, you could read quotes on Medicaid expansion without attribution, and you'd have a hard time deciding which party they came from. And I think that he was pretty accurate about that from the things that we've heard from from Moore uh, eventually and uh, Berger earlier on, and of course, Democrats who have been in support of Medicaid expansion for a while. So sort of strange that nothing quite made the budget, but uh, I guess we'll see coming up with the next session what, what there might be on that front. I thought the Medicaid expansion was such at the heart of the issue in the budget from, I want to say 2019, the, the all the, the, the drawn out process uh, drags on forever. And it, it came to the point where, you know, Cooper and Republicans were exchanging these formal, formal letters, like Harry Brown, the former Senator. I remember, you know, coming down to the press room and it was like, you know, here's, well, I'll talk about this copy of the letter that we're sending to the governor um, signed by the um, Senate Republicans about why are you making Medicaid expansion the issue over you know over the budget and and it's just so so different that it ended up becoming uh, down to within Republicans and within the House and Senate and of course the House is much more resistant uh, to Medicaid expansion than the Senate is and you know just that I guess less than two weeks ago you know Speaker Moore said okay we have sort we have a Medicaid expansion bill that's a lot a lot shorter, had a lot less in it than the Senate's bill. And, and in the end, Berger and Moore couldn't couldn't agree on, on what they wanted to do. I thought it was interesting that Cooper's comment on the budget or a statement that he put out um, mentioned Medicaid expansion. So this has you know, been a clear 
clear sticking point issue, not just between parties, but between these these top state leaders for several years now. And of course, the big difference now, and I think what finally brought Speaker Moore around, was that you're leaving a billion and a half dollars on the table. Uh, the state doesn't take it for the end of the year. So we still have half a year. So, I mean, we can, we'll see what happens if they actually use those, you know, those days here and there that they put in. I, I believe um, maybe it was Berger had told reporters that there it's probably not going to be anything, but there, it's there just in case. That happened earlier this year in the spring where they had a few days where they could have come back, but, but they didn't as sort of this placeholder if they need it. So one thing to note about the votes you were talking about in this chamber with Blue voting no and Reese voting yes. So circling back to what you said about, you know, what is Cooper going to do? I think Cooper knew exactly how Reeves and Blue um, were going to vote on the budget because he is the head of the Democratic Party. And of course, they have conversations about what they're going to do. And that puts it right down the middle. So is, you know, Cooper has 10 days to sign the budget, to veto the budget or to let it become law without his signature, which is a way of saying, okay, I'm all right with this enough, but I'm not excited about it. So I'm not going to actually sign it. So we'll see if he runs the the clock out on that. But I, any prediction I make would, would probably be the wrong one, unless it's the right one. And then I knew. <laughs> then you do, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, the nuance behind closed doors and how the parties operate and, and the the way they choose to make decisions for for later decisions to come along, like you described, what discussions might have happened behind closed doors. We don't know for sure, but I think it's fascinating. And and one thing, I, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry, Don. I was going to say, especially looking at, so the last budget where you were saying, you know, with this being rushed through as the, um, as the report, just an up or down vote, last year with the drawn out process, as we saw what each of the Senate and the House did. And so those initial votes on their budgets had Democrats supporting it. Now, Sure, it was a veto-proof majority, but was it veto-proof if they actually called for the override? Like that's that's the question there. And Cooper obviously wants everyone to to stand with him. And what he did was throw his support behind. He primaried as a verb, um, Kirk Devier, who is a, a Democratic senator, who was one of the um, one of the people that voted for an earlier ver- ver- version of the budget. But he wasn't the only one. There are Democrats in both both chambers. He was just the more um, visible one as far as what happened and Cooper's, the money that came with his endorsement for Devier's primary opponent who had filed just right before closing um, was enough to to knock Devier out of the primary. But what that did was get Devier and other Democrats who voted for earlier vo- versions of the budget a seat at the table literally when they were discussing things. And I asked some of them this time, um, as this was going on, like, hey, have Republicans talked to you? You guys were the budget conferees last time. And they said no. So I don't know if they were later later on or not. Um, but what the Democrats that were allowed to be part of the process by the Republicans who had the majority and get to make the calls on that, as far as I know, at least earlier in the process, were not invited to have any say on that. Um, but I did notice that they I believe all of last year's conferees voted for the budget this time. I think that's a great point because Berger and Moore have emphasized that this would be a veto-proof majority. But what does that really mean? Because like you said before, the governor is the head of the Democratic Party in the state. If he actually vetoed the bill, we could be pretty sure that several, if not enough, Democrats would swing their votes after the fact uh, in support of his decision. So 
what does it mean? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see, I guess. One thing I would add briefly, uh, as much as there was bipartisan support and not as much controversy as we might have seen in years past, I don't want to quite frame it as totally without controversy because there were some some sticking points that uh, upset Democrats since, again, Republicans had uh, control over writing the budget. One, especially uh, Representative Deb Butler in the House, um, a Wilmington Democrat, she spoke at length about money that was appropriated for pregnancy crisis centers, they're called, and look into the groups that are listed in the budget. They happen to be uh, several anti-abortion groups. And so Roe v. Wade and all of that, which has happened in recent weeks, of course, is still a major conversation. And uh, the the Republican leadership in the legislature also calling for a 20-week ban, all of that going on with Josh Stein, the attorney general, and what his response has been. We've reported on that. But I think there's this bigger conversation still going on, and, and that's an issue that we'll want to watch moving forward to see how things develop in the House on abortion as uh, we move into the next session. For sure. And and the the big push in the state for those that, that want um, any sort, as far as legislation about Roe versus Wade, um, looking at, you know, are you going to stand with the governor on that issue and other issues? So it's, it's people are paying attention. It's obviously an issue that, that drives some people um, to vote who may, may not have voted before, and that'll have a, a big difference in, in midterm. So, all right. Well, so we're waiting on uh, the governor's next move as far as the budget goes, and we'll be right back with our headliners of the week. All right, we're back with headliner of the week, and I'll go first. My headliner is the calendar, an actual calendar, which it looks like our state lawmakers paid attention to this year, but not quite. Uh, so Berger and Moore talked for weeks about, yeah, we're going to adjourn the short session. It actually is called the short session because it's supposed to be short, but we've all heard that before by June 30th. And a lot of reporters were like, well, and everyone else was like, you know, we'll believe it when we see it. Well, turns out they didn't finish by the 30th. They finished by the 1st. So they're still late in the fiscal year, which already began a few days ago now. And of course, waiting on Cooper to sign the budget. Um, if he does sign it, then those raises that were in it, those additional 1% raises um, will be retroactive to the beginning of the year. And, and that's what happened last year, too, when they signed the budget in November um, everything was was retroactive to the beginning of that. But they tried. They got a little close on the, um, on the calendar. So my headliner of the week is the calendar. So what's yours, Lars? <laughs> and it could have been worse, right? I mean, they oh, yeah. missed it, but we've seen it worse in the past. Uh, my headliner, that, that was a fun one, Don. Mine's going to be a little more somber, I think. But uh, one thing that has stood out to me in, in this crazy news cycle where we had Roe v. Wade come... Uh, I think it slipped a little bit under the radar was the gun legislation that passed at the federal level with bipartisan support. And we saw Tillis was actually one of the leading proponents of that, um, which I think is fascinating uh, as well, a North Carolinian Republican. Um, and so we saw yesterday on the 4th, there was the Highland Park shooting. So my headliner is going to be uh, ongoing gun legislation. What might we see at the state level? What uh, implications will there be to explore from what happened at the federal level, and what will we see from from people as as we have these ongoing issues with uh, with mass shootings and these crises across the country? Uh, 
I think that at the NNO and the insider, we'll be trying to explore a little bit more what some of the implications have been from laws that came out after we can get a bit of respite from uh, examining the budget in the short session and uh, Roe v. Wade, of course. But uh, there's much more to explore there than, than we've had the chance to do recently. So keep an eye out for more of that coming from us. Yeah, that's a good point, um, especially with Republicans like changing their opinions on some issues or, or their approach rather and Tillis really being at the forefront. And if it weren't for um, other stuff going on, that would have been, you know, a much bigger story. And, and that's good headliner. And unfortunately, mass shootings are going to are a, a common, common event and, uh, and news story. So. All right. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Don Vaughn with Lars Dolder for the News and Observer and NC Insider. We'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.